This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. There is a website that we've been watching from some person or people who were enslaved by the cult of William Branham and had heard time and time again how William Branham was a vindicated prophet. But like us, the phrase vindicated was thrown around like some beach ball and never landing in the hands of someone who had enough knowledge of the subject to give an, an, us an answer as to what exactly this vindication was. This website is www.searchingforvindication.com and when the only answers given about a vindication of a prophet were that William Branham had massive healing campaigns like Oral Roberts or Billy Graham, did these people quickly realize, like I did, that every cult pastor in every church was completely sidestepping the issue? Why? Oral Roberts and Billy Graham had huge, huge healing campaigns. Did this make them prophets? Oral Roberts even claimed to have been a prophet. And you can read about the prophecies that he had as self-promotion, prophecies that failed. Does this make the fact that Oral Roberts had a healing campaign, but he was a false prophet, did it make him no less a false prophet? Searching for vindication was not satisfied with the cult pastors who dodged the issue. Each time a question was asked and knew that they're promoting the idea of an evil spirit, each time a member asked the valid question was absolutely against scripture. So they decided to search for this vindication themselves. Hence the name Searching for Vindication. In the first set of articles produced by searchingforvindication.com, they examined the Ohio Bridge prophecy, one of the many prophecies by William Branham that could not be substantiated. And throughout the years, many in the cult have tried to find supporting evidence of these 16 men who fell to their deaths in the prophecy by William Branham. 
Each time a new person would search, they did not find 16 men falling to their deaths when a section of the bridge collapsed. But it was for the Big Four Bridge in Louisville, a bridge that was built long before William Branham was ever born. Some, like myself, have spoken to the local bridge authority. Men who were alive and even remembered William Branham, they would chuckle a little bit when I asked them about these 16 men. Respectfully, they would never say anything negative about William Branham, but under duty was obligated to tell the truth. The Clark Memorial Bridge, the one that Branham claimed to have seen this vision prior to the 16 men falling, was one of the safest constructions of its time. In fact, because there were so few casualties, this method of bridge building has used for the Clark Memorial Bridge has still been used to this date. But this was not enough to persuade those who think that William Branham was a vindicated prophet. So searching for vindication went through a painstaking effort to filter through the entire set of newspapers and logs from the Coast Guard, daily recording not only deaths, but also atmospheric conditions and other information relative to the construction of this bridge. You can read through this information yourself on their website, searchingforvindication.com. But here's a summary of their findings that's listed after the search. They write this, Each day the log contained the wind direction, force, and barometric pressure, temperature, and surf conditions. They all had to be recorded at 4 a.m., 8 a.m., noon, 4 p.m., 8 p.m., and midnight. The log also records the number and types of ships that passed. It appears that the main types were tracked were streamers and barges in tow. The station ran a regular lookout schedule, which was recorded every two hours. Absences for vacation or even sick leave were recorded. The log includes any drills held, as well as, as an account of vessel boardings, inspections, and most importantly, the cases of assistance and the number of lives saved. Finally, the second page of the daily log included a record of miscellaneous events of the day recorded in chronological order. The log was signed by the officer in charge at the end of each day. They write, We've reviewed all of these logs and found that the Coast Guard station ran a lookout 24 hours per day every day of the year. These logs contain information about distress calls, cases of assistance, even mundane events at the station like painting the kitchen or buying groceries to supplement rations. The log contained accounts of drownings, body recovery, suicide attempts, aiding prohibition agents in executing searches on remote islands, etc. There were heart-wrenching entries about young children drowning and the Coast Guard personnel administering resuscitation for up to 90 minutes in failed attempts to save young lives. The log covered, capsize, covered capsized boats, mechanical problems, cars crashing into the river, un, or saving unsuspecting canoeists from heading for the perils of the falls, and even records of recovering a little boy's bicycle that ended up in the river. 
They write, the Coast Guard station was located a few hundred yards from the municipal bridge and ran a constant lookout. There's no record of any accident where 16 men fell from the bridge to their deaths and drowned. There's no evidence of construction in 1936, as was suggested by one reader. And you can read that on searchingforvindication.com. That article is entitled, Coast Guard Life-Saving Station Conclusion. By the time that they finished their search, I think it was obvious that they realized that instead of vindicated, William Branham was very much unvindicated. But they continued. Searching for Vindication put together an interactive timeline of events that occurred early in William Branham's ministry, and they found some very shocking results. Census, rec census records were found, confirming that William Branham was born 18, April 6, 1907, invalidating many of his stories like How an Angel Came to Me, where the fortune, fortune teller told him that he was born under a sign. And that, that story given by the for fortune teller that he retold claimed that he was born in 1909, not 1907. He could not have been born a second time. Not even to mention the fact that they found a third date given on his first marriage license. Before the story of the mystic woman was given, Branham also claimed to have been born in 1908. They found census records and confirmed birth dates showing how William Branham's siblings were born in Indiana, not in the hills of Kentucky. Branham himself moved to Indiana before age three, according to other census records. But he would often tell stories of how he haunted and trapped in the hills of Kentucky to support his poor family. There are even songs, such as The Cabin's Location, that would immortalize William Branham's stories of his childhood with his siblings in Kentucky. But these records show that his childhood stories are just another fabrication in the huge web of things that are simply not true. The timeline shows newspaper articles of Branham's siblings marrying, divorcing, and then getting remarried by William Branham himself. In public, Branham had a tremendous hatred for any minister of the gospel that would do anything that would even slightly violate certain portions of the Mosaic Law that was re rendered obsolete, according to Paul, after the New Covenant of Grace. But then in private, not in public, in private, Branham would massively bend the rules so that his brothers could enjoy new wives as though they were trading in for a new car every few years. And while William Branham claims that God's wrath smote his wife and child, wrath because he did not believe in that Pentecostal movement, the newspaper articles tell a slightly different story. Hope and Sharon Rose died several months after the flood of 1937, and Branham's daughter died of a short-term illness. This is very strange when you combine this with the fact that one of Branham's closest friends, Dr. Sam Adair, performed the autopsies. But this was not the shocker. The shocker was that William Branham was already ministering 
at a Pentecostal tabernacle before the flood. And now uncovered completely eradicates his entire conversion story before it even started. This strange new turn of events sent ser searching for vindication on a new journey, one that investigates the history behind the Branham Tabernacle and all the stories that William Branham told that surround this Pentecostal taber tabernacle that should have not been a Pentecostal tabernacle according to Branham's many conversion stories. One such event is one that all cult followers immortalize, the 1933 baptism. Many of you are familiar with that story because it's one of his many commission stories that Branham claimed to have vindicated his ministry. In 1965, Branham reminds his followers once again of this story. He says this, Then consider now, I ask you at this hour, you people here of Jeffersonville, in 1933 the supernatural light that fell down yonder on the river, that day when I was baptizing 500 in the name of Jesus Christ as about a 20-year-old boy. What did it say, Jeffersonville, I ask you? What was it at the foot of Spring Street here when the Courier-Journal, I believe, I believe it was the Louisville Herald, packed the article of it? It went plumb across the Associated Press, plumb into Canada. Dr. Lee Vale, one of my cohorts, Dr. Lee Vale cut it out of the paper way up in Canada, 1933, when I was baptizing my 17th person under this witness. And you know the rest of the story. And when I was standing there baptizing the 17th person, a light came down from heaven, shining down there like a star falling from the heaven. A voice said, as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ, your message shall forerun, forerun his second coming into all the world. This day, this scripture is fulfilled. That's the title of the sermon. February 19th, 1965. But what Searching for Vindication found was not some great event so great that the Associated Press would quickly travel to the little town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, to cover this incredible breaking news that God had spoken from the heavens. There was not 500 baptized, not even close. In fact, there was not even 17, the number that Branham gives when he fabricates a story about God speaking from the heavens. In fact, the only thing, the only thing that the newspapers wrote about this event, which to them was simply another few people that were seeking their salvation, they wrote this, 14 converted was the title. 14 conversions are reported in a tent meeting conducted at 8th and Pratt streets by the Reverend William Branham. That's it. Not 500. Not even 17. And some of the greater numbers Branham gives when he exaggerates this story with even more added details, such as the time that he claimed that 
thousand were converted. He said, that day there about 33 years ago, or 34, standing in the banks of the Ohio River there at the bridge, about 5,000 people were gathered on the banks. I was just about 20 years old, 23, 22, 23 years old. My first revival. That was the sermon, Go Awake Jesus, preached in Shreveport, Louisiana, November 30th, 1963. Yet he claims, in all of this, that 10,000 people were standing there to witness it. July 1962, he says, It's all through the records, the first time that was ever taken. The Canadian newspaper packed it about 31 years ago across the whole province of Canada. All the provinces, the dominion of Canada, said a mystic light appears over a minister while baptizing in the river. That was 1930. Listen to that date. That was 1930. At the foot of Spring Street in Jeffersonville, Indiana, when 10,000 people was standing there, and I was baptizing my 17th person. Testimony at the Sea, preached in British Columbia, Canada. Why does he change the location of the printing of the newspaper? What's he trying to hide? I'm anxious to hear the upcoming results from the study on Branham's first years as a Pentecostal pastor. In the church of the other Pentecostal pastor, Roy E. Davis. The one that Davis started. The same Roy Davis that was establishing the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, which would have been the one that taught William Branham the mystic knowledge of Freemasonry. Even after everything that I myself have uncovered, in the many fabricated stories that Branham told, this one shocks even me. I had no idea that Branham was a Pentecostal minister before the flood. I had no idea that he was preaching at a Pentecostal church when practically the entire world believes that he started out as a missionary Baptist preacher. I knew that the story of the 1933 baptism, specifically the part about the mystic light, speaking from the heavens, so that 10,000 people would witness God telling the world that William Branham was the next forerunner of Christ. But I did not know that it was such a small event, so small that it received just a little tiny section in the newspaper, less than even the 17 that were baptized before Branham's claim that God spoke through the heavens and it changed the hearts of over 5,000 people. I watched a documentary recently on the ancient religion of Hindu from the country that William Branham so badly wanted to return to, time and again, even a failed vision surrounding that, the country of India. The documentary described how the Hindu gods were so embellished that the people would worship them even more. And the people themselves knew that they were adding details to the story but their form of worship was not worship in truth. They would rather invent new stories and greater stories to make their gods sound more powerful. The question I'll leave you with is this. 
Which God did William Branham serve? Was it the God of the Bible, the one true God? The God that not only asks us to follow all truth, but the God that is all truth. Or did William Branham serve another God? One that required, required fabricating supernatural events so that the God sounded greater than he really was. One that the truth was not good enough. When William Branham sold his soul to this God, was he required to add all of these fictional details to lift this God into power? Wouldn't you rather serve the God of the Bible? Wouldn't you rather believe in Jesus Christ? There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The simple good news that God loved us so much that he sent his only son to suffer and to die for our sins so that we don't have to. The good news that Christ paid our penalty and now he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. It's the powerful story that Christ rose again so that we will rise with him. It's not a power that the cult would enjoy and immortalize with added fictional details. It doesn't turn the people into wizards. It doesn't give them superhuman abilities or make them communicate with the dead like Branham claimed to have done for the mother whose son had gone on to a better place. It's the power of love. It will change hearts. When you tell others of the gospel, you can take the most violent sinner and turn them into the most humble seeker of truth. I've made my choice as to which God I will serve. Won't you make the same choice? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm.